Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. I want to let you know that I'm in my bedroom and right outside my window, my neighbors are hanging out, um, conversing, having a conversation. You might be able to hear them. You probably can't. I can hear them. So it's slightly distracting, but it's also pleasant. It's nice to, I'm take, I'm trying to take a new approach to my perception of all things and change my thinking and say, instead of being like, ah, it's annoying there's people outside. I'm like, oh, isn't it pleasant to hear people communicating and socializing and they're doing it um, carefully, I guess. Uh, they're sitting outside a few feet apart and um, Sarah and I just did the same thing. There's the show, comedy show at the Bel Air Diner, not far from our house. And uh, our friend Mike Cannon was on. So he came in early and we went down there and hung out with him and Brendan Sagalow, past guest, and Mike Cannon, future guest, I hope. And uh, it was nice. And then other comics started to show up and chat. And it was nice to just socialize and see random comics show up. And it was nice. And we were outside and we had our masks on, sort of, off and on. But a few feet apart, distanced, outside, who knows? I don't know. We're doing our best to be safe, but also stay mentally healthy. And um, I really think um, communicating and connecting with others, especially loved ones, friends, is the best way to stay mentally well. And it's something we all need. And you got to nourish that soul as well as the body. And there's nothing more nourishing than a good conversation, ball bust, laugh, smiles with some friends. And so I highly recommend it. Take precautions, be safe, be gay, be, you know, horny, whatever, just be. Uh, But anyways, it was nice. So feel pretty good about that. I'm trying my best to uh, meditate, be mindful, read. And speaking of reading, I want to talk about today's guest has a book called The Now is the Way, an unconventional approach to Modern Mindfulness. It's by uh, a friend, a new friend, Corey Allen is his name. He also has a podcast called the Astral Hustle Podcast. He's terrific. Um, I don't know how we started communicating initially. He's a friend of Mike Kaplan's, I believe, who's past guest and, of course, a dear friend of mine. And he's a comedy fan. I believe he listens to Tuesdays with Stories. I don't know if he listens to this pod. Certainly hasn't mentioned it if he does. Um, my amateur mindfulness uh, takes may be frustrating to him, although I have no evidence to that. He's been extremely um, thoughtful and kind to me. And I did his podcast last week, which you can check out, the Astral Weeks podcast. Actually, uh, Astral Weeks, that's the name of the Van Morrison album, which is a very strange album. Um, you can check out that also. Astral Hustle is his podcast. I don't think my episode is out just yet, but it was a great conversation and we had a great conversation for my podcast that you're about to listen to, that you are listening to. You're about to hear the interview. We get into, it's it's pretty heavy. He's an extremely intelligent and thoughtful guy. So we go into the depths, it gets um, maybe dark at times, but I think ends hope with hope um, and I really enjoyed the conversation and we went to some good places. We talked about, well, you're about to hear it, but we talked about the dangers or negative effects of social media, which I'm trying to curb as best I can. I really think it's uh, problematic, if I may use the buzz term. And we'd get into that. 
there's some politics, just a little allusion to politics. I'm going to warn you. I know people get triggered easily. And um, we talk about how people hear what they want to hear. So some of you will be upset for one reason and some will be upset for another probably. But then here I am getting out in front of myself and worrying and being concerned about something that hasn't even happened yet. Maybe no one will be upset. Um, anyways, it's a really good conversation, but he's the first non-comic uh, to be on the podcast, to be a guest on here. But um, he's a very funny guy and he's a comedy fan. And again, just a really smart, thoughtful guy. And I think you're going to enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. And you should check out the book. He sent it to me. And I have read, you know, I, I got to be perfectly honest. I have not read it cover to cover. I read it about the first 40 or so pages and then I skipped ahead and read a bunch more. Um, and then I read a lot from the back, which kind of guides you with meditation. It's a great book if you're looking to get into meditation and mindfulness. It's a really excellent book. And um, I'm going to start listening to his podcast. I'm not just saying that. I really am. So there's great instructions on kind of how to sink your teeth into meditation and get involved in it and uh, highly recommend the book. And um, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for all the kind reviews. Some people write stuff and in the emails as well. I've gotten emails and reviews that have moved me to, I don't want to say tears, but near, near tears. Um, I have some problems with emotions, so... If I was a better connected um, person or emotional person, maybe I would have cried. But anyways, all that to say, I appreciate the thoughtful emails and reviews. They're helpful to me mentally, and hopefully they're helpful to you. It's nice to say nice things to somebody, and um, I appreciate you. I'm very grateful, and I thank you for listening. And if you'd like to contribute financially, you don't feel like you have to, don't feel stressed, don't feel pressure, but you can um, Venmo me directly at Joe List Comedy. We don't have uh, ads or a Patreon at this point, so um, that is certainly welcomed, but not necessary. I need you more than I need your money, as we say. Um, but anyways, maybe I shouldn't even have brought that up. Now I feel terrible. This is going on too long, and this is actually a long interview too. So this is going to be a long episode. I don't know why I'm still talking. Uh, keep subscribing, review, tell some friends. That's the best thing you can do. Tell a couple friends about the podcast and take care of yourselves. Meditate. I, I recommend meditation and um, get involved with some of these people. Oliver Berkman, um, Sam Harris, Eckhart Tolle, Tara Brock, Jack Cornfield. They'll all send you in a good direction. And Corey Allen, who is my guest today. And here's a quote right out of the book it says when you get comfortable resting your body your mental chatter will rest too so folks when you're done listening sit down in a quiet place sit upright and just quiet the mind quiet the body try to connect the two spend some time you'll be better for it but first enjoy this conversation with my new friend and one of my favorite mindfulness uh, instructors, people, minds, Corey Allen. Here he is. Thank you for listening. Thanks for doing the podcast. Um, it feels funny because I just did your podcast and somehow it feels like 
I've, I have an upper hand now. Oh, that is that my right? show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I now, don't feel I'm, that way at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I don't feel the upper hand, but I felt more intimidated on your podcast because I'm like, this, this podcast, people listening, they know me. They know yeah. I'm a little dumb. And they're like, we'll just listen to our friend Joe. But on your podcast, I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, people are going to think I'm a moron. They're going to hate me. I'm going to get emails saying you suck. And, we, um, we definitely try and edit it to have that effect. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll cut out anything that you said that you, where you may have seemed profound. We'll definitely make sure and cut that out. And, and any coughs or like uh, throat clearing sounds, we make sure and loop those. So you get like a nice, yeah. I appreciate that. I, I need more um, social media negativity in my life. Now, I I will have already given an intro about you. I have your book here. I'm, I was just looking oh. at your book. It's The book is called Now is the Way, An Unconventional Approach to Modern Mindfulness, Corey Allen. Terrific book. And I have to admit, I have not listened to the Astral Hustle podcast, but that's the pos- the podcast. That's the and, pod, yeah, with the, the dumbest name of all time on, on purpose. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I'm. Uh, is it a, a reference to the Astral Weeks, the Van Morrison album that's hard to listen to? I'm going to say yes, because because <laughs> it's as good. Really, the, the thing behind it was that like whenever I started the podcast, I had no idea what would become of it. You know, I just kind of started it because a friend of mine had a podcast and I know a lot of interesting people in my life. And all I've ever done is talk about, you know, shit that interests me with my friends. That's what brings me a lot of joy. And so I started the podcast like four or five years ago. And uh, I thought, since I have such a habit of going down very dense, like philosophical wormholes, how can I name this thing that makes it completely ridiculous so that no one will think I'm taking myself too seriously, you know? So kind of like, it's supposed to be fun and, and ridiculous and whatever. Um, but also what, you know, um, have some, value behind it so i named it that because i was and and also like like quadruple entendres right so it's like it has a lot of different meanings anyway so as i started releasing episodes and the audience grew people started emailing me and they were like hey uh this is very confusing that your podcast is listed under the comedy section because i actually originally had it under comedy (laughs) And, is, it, is, is it not hilarious? I mean, I don't, I haven't listened to the podcast that much, but I know your book and I've, I talked to you recently on your podcast and it seems yeah. extremely philosophical and, um, there's a lot of, I mean, the book is about mindfulness. So is the podcast co- not comical now? I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. It is, it's, it's, the, it is comical to a degree. Like I joke around pretty constantly, probably more than the guests would like. But uh, it is it's about, you know, the inner life, but in a deep way. But like that shit, if you don't if you're not laughing while you're talking and thinking about, you know, the inner path, I think that you're missing a huge part of the point of it all. Right. I think that like the just the comedy and the absurdity of existence as it is, is so overwhelmingly connected to all of the meaning and purpose of existence. And to me, pursuing those two things simultaneously not only is fun, but it it actually inoculates one or the other against uh, the indulgence of the self, right? So if you get too serious, 
you, then you start, you know, you turn into an asshole and you start just talking platitudes and shit like that. And then you lose your sense of humor. You become too hard. It's kind of like the Alan Watts thing. You know, you want to be prickles and goo, not too gooey, not too prickly, prickles and goo. So the show is prickles and goo. That's a great name for a podcast. Yeah, ah, especially shit. especially if you had a partner. One of you could be yeah. prickles and one of you could be goo. But that reminds me uh, of a thing I remember reading. I forget in which book, but it was saying if you laugh hard enough, you'll start to cry. And if you cry hard enough, you'll start to laugh. Mm -hmm. So those two um, things are both sort of uh, natural and um, what's that word? See, this is where I get intimidated by your intelligence. Um, what Remember, do you, it's relative, man. What do you call it? Uh, involuntary. There's sort of involuntary uh, things that are very close to each other. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're somebody that thinks about, talks about, is, is aware that good and bad are are two sides of the same coin, happy, sad, whatever, positive, negative. You can't have one without the other. Is that, am I correct in thinking that or am I You're correct. On that? You nailed it. <laughs> and not only is it that, but let me just put a little pepper on that because I've thought about this a great deal. Like, so, and this may, hopefully this isn't too far into the, the thing you're just talking about, but I spent like, I had an interesting insight about four years ago, whenever I was um, just going around, going along, prodding at my brain as usual. And I began to realize, like, I had some sort of extreme experiences. And then I began to realize that I was, uh, because of the you know inheritance of my uh, baggage, essentially, you know, my all of my uh, preconditioned behavior and ways of thinking, given my family environment and so forth. I kind of grew up like forcing myself to see the positive in everyone, right? And it's this time I had this realization that that was happening. And if you read about, you're probably, are you familiar with attachment theory? Like John Bowlby's theory of attachment? Just being in therapy, you might. Um, I don't know specifically that guy's theory. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of... Uh, I've read a bunch of Buddhist stuff and the idea of attaching to mm. thoughts and the attachment. Non, I, under, I, I understand some amount of non-attachment of not attaching to your thoughts and your feelings, and that you aren't, you are not your thoughts. I mean, is that anything? That's a thing, similar? but it's not what I was talking about. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Definitely a thing. Uh, but you could see how I would think that was attachment theory. 100%, yes. And there's actually someone, uh, a guy, George Haas, that blends the two. But uh, Bowlby is like a Western psychiatrist that developed the theory of attachment, which basically when you're born, you have either like a, a destructive, constructive, and secure, insecure attachment with your parents. So the idea is, and this could just be from our discussion of the day, I thought this might actually be something you would find interesting and useful to think about. But uh, whenever you are born into your family, we naturally you know, want a secure attachment to our parents. They're supposed to be a place of unconditional love. And so when we go out into the world to individuate and to you know become ourselves, the world is not necessarily trustable, but it's testable. But knowing that we always have this secure attachment and unconditional love with our parents, it allows us to go out and explore the world 
confidently, always knowing that we can return to safety. If you are not shown that love and you're not, you know, uh, groomed with the appropriate appropriate secure attachments as a child, you feel disconnected from your family. So you don't have that conditional love from your parents. But then what happens whenever you grow out, begin to try and individuate yourself and go into the world, you then don't have a trustable base to go back to. So whenever you're trying to explore the world, you become trapped in between two polarities of an unsecure home you know, base, and then the world also seems unsecure. So what usually starts happening is you become this weird like singularity chameleon thing where uh, others around you start auto-regulating your emotional states because you're just trying to find both of those, like the appeal of and comfort of unconditional love and the trust and the exploration all at once. And it doesn't really work that way. So you end up being like, well, if I'm in a room with someone who is happy, then I'm happy. If I'm in a room with someone who's angry, then I'm angry. And I'm going to talk to them about their anger and try and help them to build that security. You know, so it's a, I, after I got into that and started reading about it, and by the way, there's the guy George Haas is a, a mindfulness teacher that uses mindfulness meditation and attachment theory to help kind of quiet the mind and then allow that negative space to therefore, like when the, the rising thoughts and the realizations of those attachments come, then you can kind of process them using mindfulness. Anyway, um, so whenever I kind of like got in, got into reading about this and thinking about it myself, I, I discovered that like that was definitely what's happening. So I started trying to approach people with a bit more objectivity and not allowing them to co-regulate my emotions of pausing be like, okay, what am I thinking and feeling right now? And like, what, what do I need right now? And how much of myself should I give to this interaction? How much should I allow myself to become emotionally involved uh, in another person's current experience. And in that kind of exploration, I realized that I was very much always giving everyone the benefit of the doubt in trying to see the best part of everyone because I came from a very um, negative background. And so I sort of had to see the positive side to have some sense of hope, you know. And so whenever I stopped doing that and I pulled back a little bit, I saw that... Um, I really started seeing the negative as well of people, right? So where if you're always like kind of looking for the positive and you take a step back, then we'll wait, hold on, there's this other thing. And then that becomes really challenging because now once you've seen, you start seeing the negative people of people, that becomes very loud because you're unused to seeing it with such relief, right? And so it was like a, a good six months to a year of me just like really struggling with not getting irritated or even judgmental about, you know, seeing kind of the dark side of every, we all have it, you know, seeing that dark side. And I realized as I thought about it further, like that we shouldn't coddle the light side or judge the dark side because really, and to the beginning, you know, to your notion about the two sides of the same coin, there is the dark and the light, there's the heads and the tails, but there's actually a third part of it, which is the observer. So that's you, right? So the observer of the dark, the observer of the light, and the observer of the coin that's either ending up on heads or tails is the part where you come in. So it's actually a trinity, right? So even two sides have a third side, which is your perception of those sides. And you can move past the judgment of the, of the dark and the coddling of the light by simply speaking through those things, not getting invested in them and speaking to the center and the heart of the individual outside of judgment or outside of creating security for yourself. 
I mean, see, this is where I get <laughs> intimidated talking to you because you say so much that I'm like, oh, I, that reminds me of this. Oh, I, I should say this. I thought of this. And I'm now my, my circuits have all broken. <laughs> it's topsy-turvy. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've lost all, all bearings on where I am. I, I, my, my compass is gone and the, you know, the sun is behind a cloud and I don't know where I am. Um, but um, that's an interesting thing that remind, made me think of something else I've heard before and read and all. And now I've just read so much stoicism and buddhism and mindfulness that i don't know what's where i read whatever but sure it that made me think of the the theory that reality is neutral and everything is just perceived through us and can be looked at one way or the other is that something that you think about or believe in is that true uh, that has been my major obsession for like 20 years is that the world there's not an inherent evil in oh. the world or an inherent good in the world it's all perception well that that gets well there is there's the okay this that's a big okay that's a big question so there's <laughs> what one puts forward is there's the moral landscape of the natural world which can kind of objectively have suffering and victims and uh you know quote unquote heroes and so forth how one perceives and and quantifies that natural moral landscape is what you're taught what you're kind of getting at and yes that is completely subjective you know so we're just i i've talked about this just sort of it's such an abstract idea i think for someone who hasn't thought of it before but i've put it in a way that like imagine the world outside of your skin right so mm -hmm. everything that exists outside of your skin is the objective world, you right. are the subject because you're the one that's looking at the world outside of your skin. And so your nervous system, which contains all of your senses, is like an instrument in a laboratory taking a reading of the world outside of your skin at all the time, at all times. So you're getting all the data and information about, you know, what's in the room around you, you know, all that type of stuff. But then based upon your as I said earlier, your genetics, your inherited family structure, the culture, your set of unique chance experiences, all of those things form you know, neural imprintations, which begin to slowly shape your worldview of the world. So as you perceive the world through your senses, it is filtered through your subjective, my, one of my mentors calls it reality tunnels, so it basically you have your flavor and your angle or your you know framework of how you're perceiving everything. And right. Really, we're we're really quickly approaching the key of Buddhist enlightenment. But I'll I'll stop there and we'll <laughs> go on. Well, so um, I've also heard or read recently that there's a clever fun saying saying if it's hysterical it's historical that um everything you react to the way you react to everything is learned in the first six or seven years the formative years as they would say so right. like when i am in line at the bagel place and the guy in front of me is ordering nine bagel and it's taking longer than i wanted and i'm like what the f fuck this guy 
there's a theory that that is all drawn back to something that happened to me when I was four or five or six. That's where I learned whether my parents reacted that they were impatient or they were anxious or they, their perception of time and we're running out of time and we have to get things done. Right. Is there any, do you, do you feel any connection to that theory or thought? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like everything basically, um, there's, if, if this couldn't get more nerdy here, here we go. So <laughs> there's this guy, Alfred Krasinski, who's the, he's the guy that wrote the book of general semantics and, and, uh, 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 non-Aristotelian theory, like in the 1930s, I used to be a big fan of his when I was in my twenties. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, he has an interesting thing because he really got into, you know, this type of stuff in a, in a deep way. Like he did this experiment where he just didn't talk for a year just to try and understand what like how language shaped the way that we think and it shaped, you know, the way that we see the world. Um, anyway, so he has a thing in, in his book, Science and Sanity, that no one listening to this should buy because it's like a 900-page tomb that's very impenetrable. Yeah, um, I, these, these people all came from Tuesdays with Stories and You Know What Dude podcast. Oh, farts. We might have to start dumbing this down just a little, no, with respect to uh, the fans and myself. I mean, so. Yeah, no, no. Anyways, okay, so <laughs> there's a thing in there called the structural differential, which there's going to there's gonna be one dude listening to this it's like oh my god i i know this but anyway <laughs> the structural differential is like uh this this model that he created short of it is is that every initial interaction you have with like a one-to-one -one singular experience is like creates the the biggest impact of how you'll see and relate to that thing moving forward and then each future experience the impacts become smaller and smaller so like if you get stabbed, if your first experience in like elementary school with a pencil is someone stabs you in the thigh with a pencil, like that's pencil one. And then from then on, even if you have plenty of great positive experiences with pencils, there's still going to be this like weird biological subconscious resistance and a discomfort around pencils because of that initial experience. But like our everything, all of the contents of our entire life and our minds operate by the same principles. Yes. Yeah, see, that is fascinating to me. And one of the scary things about having a child is that mm. no matter how hard you try and how good of a job you do, they're still going to be fucked up yeah. uh, in some ways. But that is also the nature of life. And that could even get into stoicism, which I have a hard time saying that is that horrible things are going to happen and that's just reality and it's unavoidable. I mean, yeah. that's another thing I've been reading a bunch about and, and sort of studying lately uh, is the idea that there's, I mean, which is kind of obvious, but it's obvious on the surface as a statement that you can't avoid negative things, bad things, but somehow, even though it sounds obvious, people um, maybe consciously or subconsciously think that you are able to, which is where so much I feel like anxiety and stress comes from is people trying to control and never have an unpleasant experience of, yeah. you know, flossing so they don't have to deal with the dentist and eating healthy so they don't have a heart problem and wearing a seatbelt so they don't get in a car accident, which are all positive things, but ultimately you cannot avoid some sort of crisis, tragedy, negative thing in life. Yeah. So which is where acceptance comes in, which to me, I talk about a lot on this show, everything I study from sobriety, uh, you know, recovery, 
and mindfulness and Buddhism and stoicism and therapy, the one common thread throughout all of those is acceptance. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. That's basically it. So, I mean, all of these books could be, it feels like whittled down to just, just accept it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I spent like a year just thinking about, and it sounds like a lot, but like the acceptance of what is, right? Like, and not necessarily even the details of your life, but the acceptance of like the human condition and the human experience, you know, like there's going to be like, okay, here we are. We're this weird wave of consciousness trapped in a meat, meat suit shuffling around in a <laughs> planet floating in the middle of infinity. That's just, that's like, that's harrowing as it is. That's tragic, right? It's right. tough, man. It's like, it's fucked up to realize. And this is the great advantage of, and, and equal disadvantage of humans is like that we have this huge self-reflective ability and we're aware that we're here and that we exist. And while that enables us to do amazing stuff, like have this fucking, you know, taking like, you know, sand or whatever and melting it down into glass and creating like silicon chips that we can have a community, you know, can communicate from Austin to New York or whatever. Like, that's amazing. But also, if you want that, then you got to also just quietly have that existential yipe screaming in your soul 24 <laughs> seven, but you can quiet it. That's the thing is that you can quiet it, man. You can, you can learn to you know work with that thing and accept it. And that's what a lot of the books uh, and, and topics that you read about do, you know, is it's like you find that it's like a, the, the beauty and suffering of life and existence are sort of like that coin we started talking about at the beginning it's like they're both just as they're so, you know, like even the tragedy and the suffering of existence is as beautiful in some way as the parts that are pleasurable because it's just life, you know, and the more that you can like kind of step back out of the of being uh, of constantly concluding that everything is positive and negative and just realizing that things things just are it just is, it just all is then you can right. find your own entry point into what is and begin to um, reconfigure your fundamental understanding of reality and how you approach things. And it really adds to a great amount of alleviation of all of that suffering and, and fear and stuff. Yeah, and it seems to me that, like you said, a lot of the, the dark things... Um are beautiful as well. I, I was just went through this where Sarah's father, my wife's father passed away and, you know, she's just sobbing uncontrollably. And I was sort of looking at it from a standpoint of like, well, this is kind of beautiful because all of that crying, all of that pain is love. That's an expression mm -hmm. of love because you're thinking about all of the, the love and the exchange of you know, dialogue and hugs and memories and all that stuff. And the idea of not having it again is so painful that it's like you can't even control your emotion. But that in itself, like you said, it goes back to the same coin is you, the one side is that was so wonderful. Now I won't ever have it again. And that you also have the memory of it. But essentially, anytime you're hurting like that is because of some amount of love and affection, it seems like. I mean, yeah. even if you broke your leg, the the pain is excruciating. Um, maybe that this might not be a great analogy, but it's like well, now you don't have a working leg, which is a bummer. I mean, after the immediate pain has gone away, the the sitting there in your cast, 
is the feeling of, man, I really enjoyed walking around. I liked having my working leg, if that made any sense. Not a great analogy, but yeah. still still there. You got it. <laughs> got two legs. Uh, uh, two yeah, legs man. are better than one. <laughs> yeah. But it, um, if not having a leg is fine, too, you'll just deal with that. There's also the theory that um, I've been reading. Sam Harris talks about this a lot, that our expectations are always off, whether it be negative or positive. Mm-hmm. The feeling of if you won an Oscar, it wouldn't bring you that much, as much happiness as you think it would. And if you were paralyzed, it wouldn't bring you as much um, maybe sorrow as you think it would. Yeah. Yeah, we're designed. Come back to baseline after a couple of months. Exactly. Yeah. We're designed to be like hyper adaptable as humans are, you know, that's why we're successful, you know? And so the hedonic treadmill is why no matter how much you succeed in quotes in life, it never feels like it, you know, like, I mean, you can stop and think and look back at it, like the kind of the history of your own life and be like, oh, well, I guess I've done this and this and this. But whenever I was dreaming about being able to do those things, it felt like, man, if I could, you know, like for me, if like, if I could, you know, write a book or whatever, like, that'd be amazing. That'd be so cool. I'm thinking that whenever I'm 18 and then, you know, 15 years later, whatever it happens. And I'm like, I was like, well, this is really great. This is, it was a good time. It was a lot of work. It was writing as a relentless process, but I'm glad to have it out there and hope it helps people as opposed to, you know, like, man, I'm going to like, I'm going to be set, you know? And, um, ultimately that ha- that works with, un- you know, fortunately it works with pain as well. You know, it's like if, and discomfort, which if you're aware of that, you can recognize whenever you're becoming more numb to negative aspects of your life and begin to keep your life from drifting in that direction by changing your intentions. Right. So this too shall pass, which people think of as a negative, the negative thing, this will pass, but it works for the positive as well. Yes. Like when you're, you know, um, if I do a late night or your book release or your whatever, whatever positive thing it is, it's your birthday party. Well, that too shall pass, you know, works for that as well. You're going to be, you know, unhappy again or or sad or whatever. One thing I wanted to um, get into a little bit, because I want to hear your thoughts about about it. And this goes against everything. Mindfulness, it feels like, is the role of that social media is taking on all of our brains, our psyches. It's something I struggle with. It's a full on addiction. It's like a physical addiction that I can feel yeah. and through mindfulness. I am aware of it, which is very helpful that I can, I can see when I'm stressed or anxious or sad, I start reaching for my phone to escape. So with mindfulness, I'm aware, I'm able to recognize the problem, Yeah, but it's still, it's still there. And, and like the, an eating disorder, I sort of need it. I, I do run my own business. I need to check my emails. I text a lot. I'm in communication, but the very idea, the feeling, the presence of the phone, not just social media, but the phone itself is horrifying. I just pick mine up as like a prop and I see <laughs> I have a bunch of missed calls and texts. What, what do you think that is doing to society? Is that something you struggle with or have struggled with? Yeah. Well, first of all, I was sorry for texting you so many times while we were talking. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I, I think about it all the time. I wrote about it in the book a little bit and in the new book I'm working on, I kind of address it on a, on a much deeper level. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, um, it's crazy. It's, it's really, again, like with the, the, you know, the polarity, the equal balance of benefit and, and detriment, man, it's like, 
it's such an incredible tool because of how many people you can connect with, how much you can learn and explore and see, you know, <laughs> the manicured versions of other people's lives. And you can, um, in really, to me, I think it's just the connectivity part is great. Like, you know, people that listen to my podcast send me messages all day long, as I'm sure yours do too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you can connect with people like you could never do that before. You couldn't like text George Carlin and be like, yo, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, <laughs> where do you take the cakes down to see the other cakes, you know, like, haha, whatever. Um, and so it's, that's a beautiful aspect of it. Um, and also even if you kind of like scale that up a little bit, it, there's been interesting kind of geopolitical uh like things that have come out of that like where people are you know tw you know tweeting whenever there's uh, uh like uh, fascist regimes taking over you know they're trying to make their move or whatever it's like it's crazy stuff but on the other hand of course man it becomes it really is it it predates upon like the most primal elements of our nature and that's what makes it so addictive is that it it, it like it ascribes meaning to uh itself by having us always we go into it to see others for like the sense of connection then we instantly start like comparing ourselves and like judging ourselves and then it also allows us to judge others and create you know get outraged and all that stuff or just the purely the straight up like attention aspect of it of just getting lost in this rabbit hole of like one thing leading to the next and the next which is really a form of like numbing it's essentially like alcohol or something like that you're just like numbing your your brain by staying bemused in this cloud of like cl clicking links and getting angry and judging your friends and whatever you know and and uh yeah man so it's it's real and like i to me i, I try and like chunk it out as much as i can that's because i you know i gotta i have to use my phone as well for my own you know business and um i just try and be better about chunking it out and just being aware of that that how much that affects my consciousness and i really think a lot about the mental diet aspect of things it's like you know whatever you're putting into your body you know, if you eat well, you're going to feel good. Your mind's going to be cl more clear uh, and you're going to just feel healthy and ultimately more optimistic. But if you eat like, you know, fast food all the time and you drink sodas all day, your body's going to, you know, your whole system's going to get off. You're going to feel like shit. And then that's what's going to come out. Your, your worldview will be shifted. Even if we think back to like, one of the elements of like when you're perceiving the world through your nervous system, right? You're taking this reading of the world out there. Well, that reading is also highly influenced by what you're putting into your body and how you're like treating your physical health because you're seeing a very different viewpoint of the world because you've like either you've kind of poisoned yourself or you've put good, you know, healthy kind of medicine into yourself. Um, and so I look at like the mental diet is the same way. It's like if you wake up and just like live your life and maintain the life around you, and then dip into social media for five or 10 minutes, then you're probably fine. But if you're sitting there for hours on the phone, like that's that you're eating fast food and it's going to make you think in really shitty ways. And then ultimately just make your life worse. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. And I, I, I always, I feel like this is a good analogy that I've actually thought about <laughs> and it wasn't off the whim. It, social media makes me think about when you would play ball in the house You'd throw the ball around in the home and it's only going to end with a lamp getting broken or something. So it's going to end negatively of like, fuck, right. we broke everything. It was fun. But then it just goes until something negative happens. I feel that way with social media sometimes is basically 
you scroll through until you go, ah, oh, fuck. You get upset. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. usually end with like, well, that was nice. I enjoyed that. It ends with somebody said something. You're like, he's a fucking hypocrite. This guy's phony or this is bullshit or this politician said this or that. Um, and it takes you, obviously, it's, to me, it's like the opposite of mindfulness. It's you're outside of your head, you're outside of your body, you're outside of reality of what's actually around. Yeah. And it puts you in this weird place that it feels like this stuff is stuff is happening that's really not happening in the real world. Like a lot of this negativity, if you just put it down, it's not actually happening. And it's it's similar to anxiety. It's almost like social media is anxiety in that um <laughs> Like when there's an exercise I talk about a lot on this um, podcast and Eckhart Tolle, I don't know if you're a fan of his, but he he talks about where it's like, if you actually stop and sit and ask yourself, what is actually wrong right now in my life? Like what is going wrong? The answer is almost always nothing. It's almost always your mind is down the road somewhere or in the past. And that's like social media to me. You're reading about this stuff, but you're like, if I just put this down, none of this is actually happening. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Oh, totally. I thought about it in the context of like, if you're sitting on your couch looking at your phone, like, and say there's like set up a camera in your living room. So you're being filmed, right? So what's happening in that room? You're like sitting there on the couch. You pick up this glowing rectangle. You like look at it. You go through this whole process of like getting distracted and then getting really pissed off and then feeling anxiety and then feeling angry. And then you set it down. And so you feel like, oh, you feel so frustrated and, and whatever. If you go back and watch that video, it's like what happened in your existential <laughs> life? You're just right, sitting right. there as this blob on a couch that suddenly went from nothing to like furious. And there was no external intervention whatsoever, you know? Right. I mean, that's a perfect, perfect way to put it. And what also happens now, which I think is dangerous for society, is that you kind of choose who you follow. And it's, there's a... um. Uh, what do you call it? A uh, algorithm that sets yeah, it up yes. where it feeds you what you want to see, and by what you want to see doesn't mean something positive. You want to see something proving your point or your theory, or people get addicted to feeling angry or outraged, and so it just sends you these things. Like, boom! It it shoots it right at you. You're seeing whether you're if you're like a a, a right wing kind of all lives matter person, you're getting videos of black people committing crimes over and over mm-hmm. again. And if you're on the other side, you're getting videos of, you know, white people with Confederate flags at, you know, whatever. And you go, you see, <laughs> look at this. And everybody's getting hammered th- with their, um, their perception is getting whatever you, uh, again, I'm not articulate, but it's building <laughs> more that muscle so you're thinking so it feels like a lot of the times and i might be off on this is that people are like god these white supremacists are fucking everywhere and it does feel like they're on the rise but in reality it's like they might have a rally of 60 people out of the 300 million and and vice versa it feels like god these cops are just killing people left and right and then you kind of see numbers and you're like well maybe it's not quite as prevalent as we think as prop both of those things are obviously terribly problematic but i don't know that all of these things are as prevalent as the what we're getting fed would have us believe that there's a little distance between reality and perception same oh, with totally. covid and every other thing is yeah 
you can you can kind of be built into your head that something is happening actually more than it is for sure yeah it's it's like the whole distraction machine is built for that right and so it's just sensationalizing everything like every possible thing and polarizing everything because it, it attracts again it, it it's touching on those primal elements of everyone's mind and so like what are those elements right there are sex race you know politics which is basically worldview uh culture religion yada 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 and so you see all those things are being you know poked at constantly because it makes people have an uncontrollable reaction and that's what the people who create those the, the headlines and all that type of stuff are intentionally looking for and they want you to see something that you like the laughter you talked about earlier or the crying that you un, you have no it's a reaction not a response you have an uncontrolled reflex and what's interesting is if you like look at evolutionary psychology that works because our sense of like usness of our capital i i or our capital s self it's got this whole foundation built all right right and that's built all of our how we see the world and all of the things that we truly believe to be real in reality and of course there are you know everyone really but there is 50 percent of the people have an opposing or something close to an opposing view of that just from like the natural spectrum of things right there's always going to be this spectrum of of uh whenever anything exists there's a spectrum of it right so there will inherently be an opposing viewpoint. And what happens is that whenever someone from like a very diametrically opposed uh, point on that, that spectrum says something to you, or you see that they've written something online that contradicts what you believe to be reality, then it literally feels like your, your eye, like Joe, your life is being erased because the whole foundation in which you predicate your belief system and your worldview is based on these these general primal ideas. And whenever someone puts forth a, an argument to the contrary of those, it feels like that's being like that person's trying to erase that, and therefore you feel like you're being erased. And that emotion that arises is a feeling of being attacked. So people feel like they're physically being attacked whenever, and so it turns into the, like the amygdala fires up, and it turns into this life or death type of feeling. And so you respond with uh, a defensive attack to try and get that person to go away and stop disproving your reality, so that you don't feel threatened. Well, see, that's a really great to hear and really an articulate way of hearing it that I haven't really heard because I've been trying to figure that out with certain things. And I don't want to talk politically, so we'll just say <laughs> a person. We can if you want. <laughs> a person, let's just say a person says something like, and this was years ago now, but a person like, I had the biggest victory in the history of uh, presidential Racist. That's something that's a, a fact, an easily Googleable fact. And they say, yes, this, they declare a thing. And you go, it triggers me to a level. I'm like, oh, this must be from childhood of being right. gaslighted by somebody. When I was, you know, four, my father said we had chicken parm last night. We actually had <laughs> hot dogs, something because you're like this bending of reality. And, and both sides do it. I don't want to get angry emails, but I mean, one the president of the United States does it to such a level of that's it's insanity that it does trick it feels you feel viscerally angry and then you see people start to go yeah he's right where you're like what 
how is this happening? So maybe that is what is happening with people. And of course, one side says that's Trump. You have Trump derangement syndrome. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it sounds like it's closer to what you're talking about, is that it feels like reality is being attacked and that I take it personally. Yeah. And what's it's true. And everyone does that, you know, no matter what like political interest you have, that's just a, a function of human nature. Um, but what's really dangerous is that uh, your president is, uh, <laughs> he's, you know, they're doing, they're, they are distorting reality on purpose. Right. You know, that saying, like just claiming as long as you, it's like deny till you die. If you just claim this as fact and then immediately try and undercut and insult and de- um, uh, kind of character assassinate anyone who, hey, I slipped those two in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those two words. Um, if you character assassinate wh whoever's, you know, trying to say, hey, no, what you're saying isn't real, that's how you. There's a, there's a great book called The Mass Psychology of Fascism by Wilhelm Reich that uh, it's a little classic from the 1940s or 50s, I think. But Is it over Wilhelm of, Reich? Yeah. That's a, that's that a fun German name. enough for you? For a uh, fascist book. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, man, the, the intentionally distorting reality is the, is the thing. And, and that's one of the things that, um, not to nerd out again too hard, uh, but that's one of the things I think about and have been thinking about for years Uh probably the last two or three years, I really started recognizing this and it all ties together what we were just talking about. Like the fact that like technology is escalating and evolving to such a fast degree that it's going way faster than any of us can ever recognize or realize. Right. So we have no idea. We think we have a sense of what's happening with the, with the advancement of technology and the connectivity. We can't, we literally can't perceive all the changes happening. So we, we can reflect on it later and it's going to be really trippy to look at the years 2016 to 2022 or whatever in 10 years and go, oh, holy shit, right. <laughs> you know, what, what happened? But in, the, in real time, what's happening is that, as you said, with the rise of social media, everyone is being algorithmically fed their biases so much that it creates an echo chamber that everyone is living in because we're looking at our computers and, and our phones almost as much as we're interacting with or more than we're interacting with real life and real situations. So our worldview is being shaped to fit our, our bias. Sadly, and this is the most American thing ever, ultimately to lead to advertisement clicks because it's trying to get us to stay online, to stay engaged and continue to search articles and stay there so we can be shown marketing stuff, which is why in my book I put like attention is the new currency. It's because you're literally like, if you land on a page with your attention, someone gets paid, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, we're all living in these echo chambers of our own bias. And the more time you spend in that, and the deeper that you go into that, the more wrong that everyone else begins to look. And so whenever everyone is looking in these, these personal bias reality tunnels, and everyone thinks that everyone else is wrong, like where does actual reality come into play? Where does a sensible, rational, testable, empirical, objective reality occur? Well, it stops to occur. And what happens is that what is happening, and this is, we're at the, I thought we were at the breaking point a year ago, we're really at the breaking point now, is so the intersubjective agreement, I apologize again for getting nerdy on you, <laughs> but like, okay, so in, 
in, in like in philosophy, there's a thing. Intersubjectivity is whenever something exists as a concept, but we all agree on it. Like uh, uh, Noah Harari in Sapiens talks about this in respect to like corporations. It's like, well, where is Peugeot car company? Like, well, they have a lot of factories, and there's like legal documents that bind them together as a company. But like, where is that company? Or like, what is the value of money? It's like, well, we have digital numbers in a bank account, but like, what? It doesn't really exist it's not actually anything we just all agree that it is right so that's right that's a good function of humanity because it keeps the agreement of our society stuck together and the operation of everything we know to be all running but what's happening is the fact that everyone is spending so much time in these personal bias chambers that's stretching that agreement is stretching and there's pressure on it from every possible angle because everyone's you know has their own personal bias. And so it's just stretching and stretching and stretching. And my question has been for the last few years, what's going to happen whenever that snaps? And I think we're really on the precipice of that right now. I mean, that rubber band is is taut. Um, and so uh, the problem and the reason why people are having so much anxiety and, and why suicide rates and depression rates are higher than they've ever been. And they've like, they're not only are they higher than they've ever been, but younger people are the proportions are getting younger and younger and higher and higher in the rate of depressions. People under the age of 18 are now having depression rates like 600 times, you know, and that's, I'm just goofballing that number, but like I'm being hyperbolic, but like a lot, lot more than they ever would. And that's because, uh, we are in this moment where we're, we're actually like living postmodernism. With, and, you know, like, it, like postmodernism was supposed to be sort of an idea, but we're actually like living it right now. We're inside of it. So that's the, we're experiencing the death of meaning. And so everyone is so troubled and panicky because what gives humans, again, on a primal level, purpose and hope and direction and joy and uh, a sense of fulfillment is, is meaning. And meaning is, is there's a war, there's a battle for reality right now. There's a war on meaning right now. And no one knows how to see it from the outside unless you've been studying this stuff for decades. And that is why um, I apologize if this is an inflammatory name on your podcast. That is why Jordan Peterson became so popular when he did. It's because his whole thing was criticizing postmodernism and trying to reassert the growth of meaning, how he approached that and his viewpoint of how that should be reconstructed is up to debate. And that's a preference and that's a whole nother conversation. But that's why he had such a meteoric rise in the moment that he did is because it was what people were looking for. It was like they felt uh, that that the crumbling of the reality contract and were desperately looking for a way to find it again. And that's that's just that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary, and I don't want to go too off the deep end of hopelessness here uh, because I, I I want people to get something positive out of this. That's what I'm hoping is to be <laughs> of service to people that are struggling with anxiety, and I don't want to add too much to it. Um, and it it but it feels like to me the solution or or some solution would be to get away from social media and try to seek out other people's. Um, opinions and where they're coming from. It seems like a lack of empathy uh, from both sides. It feels to me, and this might be overdramatic or hyperbolic, but it feels like both sides politically have moved way closer towards fascism. Mm -hmm. um, 
certainly, uh, you know, the the left this idea of sort of cancel culture, and if you bring up certain questions, you're a, a racist or a homophobe or if you, or or whatever, and you shut up. You don't even you don't say anything. You said this on such and such show or podcast, and you shouldn't be allowed to work or be on TV or make money. That to me seems uh, very anti. First Amendment with with certain situations, I yeah. I can see where you're coming from, and then certainly, um, the right trying to suppress votership and gerrymandering and and making up complete bullshit um, facts. It's just it's really scary that both sides seem to be moving into extremes, and then they move so far that they kind of come close to each other. They come very similar to each other. Oh yeah, left wing and right wing are on the same bird, man. Yeah, it's really <laughs> um, strange and scary. But I have to think from a hopeful standpoint that the majority of the people are still relatively pragmatic in their thinking. I always think it's fascinating that both the left and the right think the media is biased against the other. I mean, that's oh, yeah, to me uh, just fascinating. Um, yeah. But so it feels like we are in a weird, strange time, but it feels like to me, I I kind of have this hope that people voluntarily will start to put their phones down a little bit and start trying to see from where other people are coming from and avoid social media a little bit more, avoid the echo chambers a little more, and start going into mindfulness. Because I think mindfulness sort of breathes um, empathy to mm -hmm. me. So I think, and I hate to make it seem like the answer is religion, but like <laughs> it feels like... You know, Buddhism, mindfulness, teaching these things could really be beneficial to um, our society, especially people that are young and making it a habit. Yeah. People that are young. Yeah, it's amazing how even I totally agree with you. And it's crazy how, first off, well, you were saying that this seemed a bit uh, dour earlier or a bit, you know, like sad. But man, the reality is, is that one of the important steps of, processing something that sucks and it's causing you pain is confronting it and recognizing what you're dealing with. And it's sort of like, look at our previous segment of this conversation where it's like, Oh Jesus, that sounds bleak. It's like, no, no, that was going to the gym. Right. And so now after you've gone to the gym, now you feel good afterwards because you've addressed the situation and you've like worked out and you kind of understand a little bit more of what's going on. So it may not be pleasant while listening to it, but now we're looking at solutions, right? So, so yes, man, I, I think that mindfulness is a great uh, remedy for all, all the things you were just describing. And what's crazy about it is that even that description and that, you know, how, how, much, how simpler and more clear and better of an idea could it be to like say, hey, I think mindfulness will help you be more kind and more aware of what you're thinking and saying in other people. Well, like I did this interview with the New York Times and the interview was two hours and they asked me, they asked me one political question and I said one political sentence and then a paragraph or two of me they included that sentence where I was talking nothing about my I was I talked about mindfulness and how it could help modern society for two hours and the one time I use the T word, they drop that in the article. You know, it's like crazy. So right. even like you spend, it just shows you what you're up against with 
with this stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've ranted about this on my other podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, where we get there's reviews that are like, this podcast is too political, or I liked it before, list is political, and this. And it blows my mind because I'm like, we've done an hour a week for six years. The majority of it about, you know, coming on my own back and eating <laughs> yeah. my own common farts and shit. Sure. I mean, it is a lowbrow, silly podcast. It's, maybe- it's one of the only podcasts I listen to. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I appreciate it. yeah, that. It's great. Oh, thanks. So, I mean, it's uh, it's, feel, abs- yeah. it's, abs- it's absurd and it's silly and it's ridiculous uh, and irreverent, obviously, but it's... I mean, like, if you compiled all the political talk from six years of podcasts, it, it probably equals about 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah. Um, and even in in the political talk is like, vote for Bernie, you fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, we're not breaking down, uh, or, 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 the, or it's me explaining in the dumbest way what <laughs> socialism means to Mark, you know? Yeah. So, but anyways, it's... <laughs> The, the, uh, but people hear what they want to hear, and what they right. want to hear is something that triggers their anger. I mean, I've gotten so many people, I'll never listen to this show again because I talked about how I wish people didn't have guns. You know, it's like, right, right, right. It's, it's absurd. And um, obviously, that just triggered me there. So I, mean, I don't even know what we're talking about. Oh, well, the, the thing about you mentioning Trump once and then make it a political article. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I did we, a, um, oh, sorry, just, just a quick quip on me. i've told this story before but when michael richards had his thing where he went crazy at the comedy store or the laugh factory sure. they i was living in boston and i think it was the globe or the herald wanted a quote from a local comedian and i was like oh man it was outrageous and it the quote said local comedian joe list is outraged <laughs> and i was like no i'm not i'm not outraged i don't give a shit i just i thought it was crazy like it was it was an outrageous behavior and now you're thinking like, oh, now all the other comedians think that I'm like some soft, you know, like m- m- moron. Yeah. I mean, hey, I don't condone <laughs> screaming the word at uh, <laughs> sure, sure. audience members. But <laughs> so I wasn't, soft. Yeah. I wasn't outraged. I was like, oh, man, that guy went crazy. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But anyways, yeah, they just, if it bleeds, it leads, as they say. And yeah, well, also, you know, man, as far as like people getting so triggered about guns, ironically, or any of that stuff where you say something and then someone, you know, has this reaction with you're, you're like, look, I said, you know, if you're talking about uh, your, your political feelings and you say like, oh, well, you know, Trump's a fucking moron or, or Bernie is awesome or whatever, um, or you talk about guns or whatever it is, uh, like uh, the, the people who are trolls, right, like or, or have that type of reaction there's the Ramdas has got a good one where he says like whenever people come at you like that they're basically just showing you where they're stuck or like where they have some areas that need attention so every time someone like drops a nasty comment on your Instagram page or your Twitter page look at the content of that comment like break it out like what is the kind of the subject then the object of that that comment and that is where they actually have like an injury or something that needs a lot of attention. Interesting. So if someone's like, and uh, you know, this is a, a, a generalization, but if like, say, for, let's put it on me, let's say it to me. So if I post something and like, I'm very fortunate to have very kind people that listen to my show and, and, and follow what I do. Um, but there, you know, there's been a couple of hilarious comments over the years uh, so like on you know, YouTube video of me doing a podcast or something, someone's like, this guy looks miserable, you know? <laughs> and it's like, 
I'm like, uh, I couldn't, I'm literally just a, a happy guy. Like, I'm so not miserable. It's <laughs> funny, or like, oh, this like bald with a beard, what a horrible look. And it's like, you know that that guy is losing his hair. The guy right. that wrote that, you know what I mean? And you know the miserable person sees me feel like looking calm and composed and is and he's miserable because he's feeling out of control of his own life in some way but hasn't come to consciousness yet right so one of the, like in Jungian psychiatry one of the interesting things is that he talks and you being a fan of language obviously appreciate this is that the way that humans clarify their own thinking is by speaking it out loud because we have these this kind of recursive subconscious in our brain it's all these elements and fragments of what we experience gets like packed away and sits under the threshold of our awareness and by speaking as we formulate thought those elements assemble into one idea and emerge from us out into the world and so as we're talking we're actually understanding ourselves more clearly by getting it out because once it's out of us then we can reflect upon it as well right and so i think that a lot of like trolling and shit like that comes from people who have this very unexamined inner life and who are in a lot of pain and so they say the shit out loud because they're trying to troll and they're probably saying the same vein of insult over and over and over because they're trying to come to terms with the thing that they psychologically and emotionally need to recognize and to deal with. Oh, I love that. I wish I, I might I might copy and paste all of that and just tweet yeah. it at people. But <laughs> to, it. to summarize that with like a, a sobriety <laughs> quote, you spot it, you got it, is what there we you go. say. That's it. That's it. usually when someone's like, oh, you're doing this and this because of this, it's like, oh, you're aware of that because that's something you do or have done. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fun to have those uh, the juxtaposition of you um saying all of what you just said rambling and, yeah. and then me being like spot it you got it um, hey man some prof i love prof profound simplicity <laughs> yeah well and there's also hurt people hurt people you know yeah. um yeah. And, and yeah it's 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 interesting because it's hard for me to connect to that because i do feel rage when people write shit that is negative or whatever um but there is it is easy to put together in your head that like obviously someone that is writing to a stranger and with a fake name and a fake photo under their thing, hey, fuck you, they're obviously not doing well. They're not a right. well adjusted human being, but um maybe I'm not well adjusted and that's why it affects me. Uh we gotta, we well, gotta start to wrap up here, but neither uh, neither of us are. That's why we do this for a living. But um <laughs> so picture picture like I the thing that trips me out about it is that like where I have never in my life, and I'll say this, like, I'm not an angel by any means, uh, like, but I just, uh, I've never in my life taken, had, had the urge or sought to, like, leave a negative comment on a YouTube video or send one to, like, someone socially or, like, on Twitter or whatever. Like, I've never wrote it, written a bad review. Like, I just don't give a fuck. Like, if I ex encounter something that I don't agree with, I just move on. And so... Yeah. I was going to say, think of where you would have to be in your life and like what your mentality would have to be to take the time and the energy to write something. That, that's a lot of suffering, man. Yeah, it's really strange. And I always talk about it. it's a lost art to just not enjoy something and then move on. I've And I, I always talk about this is more towards the idea of cancel culture. The idea of like reality shows are 
gross to me. Like the ones Real Housewives or My Fattest Sister or whatever the fucking show is. <laughs> I want to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's just horrible and it's it's the destruction of our society. But I don't write to Bravo and be like, take this off this instant. Yeah. I just go, oh, yuck, I don't like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's a strange idea of to be like, I don't like this and I'm going to let you know. Um, and I've seen a lot of movies that I think are terrible. I've never thought to seek out the director and be like, fuck yeah. you, you piece of yeah. shit. Yeah, man. It, it is a little bit of it also is Western entitlement too. You know, there's a little bit of that, you know, like we, I think because of the luxury and the like instant gratification that all of us were like born into, we tend to have this sense that like the world should be bending to our whims a little bit. Right. And so it's kind of like, people think that the world is their living room and it's like, I don't get, get, get this out of my house. It's like, Hey, this is a shared space. <laughs> Public right. is a shared space, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't like this, but you're like, well, all those people like it very yeah. much. And it's, it's, it's serving them. Um, well, may, maybe, a, oh, I was sorry. Uh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've found like, I had to come to terms with the fact that I just don't like popular things anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. So like it, the, the most of what I don't like, like the things I don't like, there's most of that in the world. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like I like really weird music and weird films and weird books and shit like that. That like has two reviews on Amazon or whatever. And, right. uh, it's like, I don't know. I suppose it's maybe you get more used to it if you just don't like, or if you don't care for like most of the things that are out there. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh it's a strange time it's a strange mindset but it's become more and more normal to use like a buzz term like normalized to write to someone and really fucking go after somebody who is saying or doing something that you don't really like which is For sure. strange instead of just um ignoring it i don't I don't understand it, but I, I want to end on a some note of hope do you have hope for society at all Oh Please yeah, yes. yeah, we're oh, fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either we'll be fine or we'll be dead very quickly. So yeah, <laughs> there's well, that. I, I like to think, and I think I talked about this last week. I do like to think that this, you know, this is not even arguable. I don't think or debatable. I should say is that we, as a, as a um, species, have progressed in a good direct. We're ultimately progressive. I mean. Life on Earth seems better now than it did a thousand years ago or 500 years ago, even, even 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Or 30 years ago. You know what I mean? We're more aware and we're kinder. And, and violent crime is actually going down and continues to go down I, I, from what I understand. And um, so it is better. And I think what we're going through now is a little blip. It's not a straight line straight up. It's a little death rattle of... Uh, white supremacy. I hope this, you know, <laughs> left-wing fascism is just a little blip. And, um, you know, I, 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 ultimately, I try to be hopeful. But everything goes to shit. We'll be okay too. The stoicism. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Does any of that make sense? I mean, is that sure, sure. Yeah. No, I, I'm on board, man. I mean, I agree. It's if you look at people like Steve Pinker, you know, he'll say that. You know, he's there's thousands of pages of charts and tables and stats that he's put together in a couple of different books about how humanity is skewing towards prosperity and peace. But as that happens, I don't know if he covers this. Uh, I didn't finish those books, but uh, 
um, only so many, I can only look at so many tables, man. But exactly, um, exactly. like whenever, uh, you know, as that skews towards peace, like the, what's happening also is that like the magnification of the pixels on the giant flat screen of reality that are still um, deeply suffering and, and having problems are magnified greatly. So there's this like hallucin hallucination effect. Not that there aren't real problems in the world. Of course, there are many, many, many. Um, but in relation to history, they're a lot fewer and a lot more nuanced and subtle. Hence, a lot of the disagreements and the weaponization of even conversation about those things. You know, like you can't even talk about it, right? But I do think that that um, that we will, that, you know, will be all right. And because humans are really adaptable. And also, if I have to like look at it from the most pragmatic and realistic viewpoint, um, like people, I thought about it like this, like people who want to rule <laughs> need to have people to rule over. Right. And so also people generally, if you look at history, you know, people don't really take action about things that are going on in the world until it's on their front doorstep or in their house, basically until it's directly affecting them. And I think that because of the the way that society has been shifting around over the last 10 years and a lot of the cultural division within cities, you know, like in Austin, there's like, they built a highway in between downtown, like to separate downtown, to keep the, you know, poorer side of town separate from the other side of town. And that of course created this race division in, you know, like decades ago. And that's happens everywhere. But as that is slowly changing because of, you know, economy is changing, new generations are seeing things in different ways. Um, these things are getting, you know, more mixed together. Um, and so this was the perfect recipe now for a kind of economic, political, and um, on the topic of, you know, and, and racial enlightenment to be pushed out and to be very explosive you know all of the elements were were really lined up for this to happen so it was affecting people directly because they were at the very least they were observing a lot of these problems firsthand because the way that societies have shifted they're now you know um, different races are more um, they're not separated by the the intentional division that was set up you know decades and decades ago and i think that's a you know obviously that's a great thing and i think it's making it where people are actually beginning to feel these real problems um but at the end of the day that speaking of people who rule want that people to be ruled over whenever the suffering of that trickles up to those people it'll only be until they feel it that their their sort of lower animal brain kicks on to make them make them change their operation and and kind of become a bit more uh, egalitarian, or or they'll simply cease to exist. Right. You know, they'll they'll die or be killed or something like that. Um, so out of self, the, even the the greatest narcissist, the town, you know, the, the what I've been thinking in my head the last couple of days is the the townhouse narcissist of modern of modern life right now a narcissist within a narcissist someone who might retweet their own tweet and then agree with it that's the townhouse <laughs> narcissist yeah i know yeah. i know a guy like that yeah yeah even you know that that person uh you know like 
it, it, at the end of the day, like it will come down to self-preservation, you know, and that's why as a species, I think that we'll be fine at least for a little while. Yeah. Oh boy. I didn't like that last part, but <laughs> well, I mean, eventually, you know, the sun's going to explode or whatever, and we're all going to die, you know? Yeah. But I think that's a couple hundred thousand years or something, right? Yeah, I think a few bill, a few bill. <laughs> yeah. There we go. A couple billion. I mean, yeah, this isn't even, you know, climate change. We're all going to, whatever, but we want to stay positive here. So I guess I would say everybody stay mindful. I also want to recommend again, the book now is the way an unconventional approach to modern mindfulness by Coriel. I'm showing it to the camera, but this isn't even a video <laughs> podcast, but it's a, it's a really cool book and I appreciate you sending it to me. Of and, course. Uh, I enjoyed the help you address, um, in the book at one point, uh, just trying to choose a movie on Netflix to the point that you don't ever even want to watch a movie anymore. Yeah. I have that problem all the time. I always, always feel like I'm going to make the wrong decision, which is something I've been working on and doing better. But I made the right decision in having you as a guest. I appreciate you being here, man. It was fun. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate the invitation. And I think that one of the great art pieces of the 21st century would be just a screen capture of someone scrolling through a Netflix menu for like 10 hours. And they just put that, that video on loop in a gallery. And that's going to like summarize the human condition in the 21st century. I do it so much. It's horrible. And then I'll go to Hulu, the Criterion channel and all this stuff. And it's just, it's gross. I hate myself, but I'm at working least, on all of it. At least you feel good when you're looking at the Criterion movies. That's you feel true. like, man, I'm doing something real. People better watch out. Yeah, I'm going to watch feel... Ronan tonight. And yeah. then you never do. I feel wise at least. But uh, yeah. Hey, well, um, thanks so much, Joe. It was a lot of fun, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hopefully I'll have you back on again. We could do this again sometime. It was Anytime. really cool. All right. Awesome. Thanks, man. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.